And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. Welcome in to this Sunday's edition of the College Bass Bonanza. As of now, live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio in downtown Phoenix on Arizona time, it's 29 hours until that magical month called March. I'm Nicholas Hodell, Dominic Stearns alongside me. For the first time in a couple of weeks, Dom Contini is awesome with us. He's been all over the place doing all kinds of fantastic stuff. And not only are you, Bill, you've chosen a great week to come back because we've got all kinds of things to talk about. And we're just going to get started right away with the most historic, upset-filled Saturday I, or anyone, in fact, has ever seen. The top six teams in the AP poll all went on the road on Saturday, and they all lost. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, it was just a great intro for what this month is about to bring to us. It's the best time of year. College basketball is king in the month of march and it's the best way to be so i'm excited for this month and wildness in college basketball as always yesterday was fantastic uh, my mic's on now i can hear me yeah uh, sorry about that no, no no all good but i mean yesterday was awesome unfortunately i don't want to say unfortunately but i, I had the baseball call for blaze here and the game sucked but i mean i missed a couple of them awesome awesome games but i got to watch the late night so uh, that that was a lot of fun. It was, and uh, we're not going to try to go through all six games in, de- in depth, so what we're going to do, we're going to do a little bit of superlatives here and really get some thoughts of what we think really ended up happening. First off, and we're going to include the upset of TCU beating Texas Tech as well. Number nine, also on the road, also lost. Seven in the top ten, and having that same thing. First off, I'll go to Dom Contini first, since he is back with us for the first time in a couple of weeks after he's been all over the place doing all kinds of fantastic stuff. What was your most surprising upset of Saturday? Well, so going into yesterday, I actually liked St. Mary's against Gonzaga, but I would say that's the most surprising. Like I thought it could happen, but I mean, I was always going to pull for Gonzaga. But I think the 16-point loss to Colorado that Arizona suffered is eye-opening. Um, the way they lost, too, was very weird. Um, it's not something we usually see from this Arizona team. So, yeah, I'm going to choose the Wildcats as the upset that caught my eye the most. And I am going to um, go off with that Texas Tech um, game. That's my most surprising upset of the day. Texas Tech, to me, have been playing like a team that was just building itself up, continuing to build, and continuing to just make the pave, make the path, continuing to march. And then TCU beat them. By the way, big win for TCU. Solidifies what they've been trying to do um, all, all year, really. Um, but especially when Texas Tech gets outscored 36-25 in the second half. Really did not see that coming. How about you, Dominic? Yeah, I mean, I, I did get to watch that game. Every time that Texas Tech had an answer, TCU responded. And TCU's been – sorry, Texas Tech has just been one of the most consistent teams in the country. But for TCU to show – what they have and just responding each and every time. I thought TCU really showed that they're actually a tournament team. Absolutely, and that that was a fantastic game for them. Let's move on to the worst performance of the teams that got upset on Saturday. Starting with you, Don. Uh, I would say Gonzaga. I mean, St. Mary's pretty much controlled the most of that game. 
um, it was senior night for St. Mary's, and same. I I want to get the point across for people who don't watch college basketball. Yeah, Gonzaga is at the top, but St. Mary's in the West Coast Conference is legit this year. So like, yeah, they lost by ten to St. Mary's, but Gonzaga just didn't look like their usual selves. So, um. Yeah, that was the worst performance for me. Yeah, and, and I really watched that game, and it just seemed like everything St. Mary's did was successful. Uh, and, you know, after two through six had already lost, it's just like, surely Gonzaga didn't get a fall. And then they fell. I was like, oh, my God, are you uh, kidding me? Yeah. I mean, it was it was one of those actually caught my eye to St. Mary's, a team I have not watched too much this year. Big eye catcher for that particular game. I'm going to go with Arizona here for the, really the second half of this Arizona game. One of 11 from three. Ouch. 37%. The defense... Colorado shoots 66% from the floor, uh, 3 of 6 uh, from beyond the arc. Um, Arizona outrated by just a little bit, mainly the, the, the defensive end. But Colorado really destroyed Arizona in the paint in the second half, 32-18. to 18. Arizona only got four second-chance points, uh, which for five offensive rebounds is kind of interesting there. But Colorado, uh, for, a, for a half, it didn't. For, for didn't quite have that. I mean, Colorado, 13 points off of eight turnovers is really, really good. Arizona only had four points off four turnovers. Again, what are you doing there? Just not an Arizona-like performance, especially in that second half. So that is what I'm going with with that. How about well, you, Dominic? Nick, did you know that Arizona has only won at Colorado twice since Colorado joined the Pac-12? Wow. Which, I think we were talking about that earlier this afternoon. That's actually a wild stat. No, it is. Uh, I was told that by Gabe Sports and Payne Gallagher, friends of the program. So I uh, figured them. I'd relay that stat. Uh, I would say Purdue had the worst loss just because Michigan State had absolutely been reeling. They had been struggling hard. And it's not like the offense or the defense for Purdue let them down. It was the offense. Jaden Ivey played probably his worst game of the year. He looked lost on the pick and roll. You know, Going to East Lansing is always tough every year. Shout out to Dom. He uh, correctly predicted that game. I'm not sure how he saw that coming. Yeah, me neither. But <laughs> got, got, got it correct, and, you know, like he has most of his uh, contrarian picks this year. But Purdue was really disappointing, and I, I'm just not confident in them going into the NCAA no, I'm not, tournament. I'm going to follow up on that. I'm not confident at all with this Purdue team. I had a rant in an earlier show about how Matt Painter has struggled to win big games, and I don't think they are going to be able to do that in March. They are a great offensive team, but their struggles defensively is, are going to hold them back, and I'm not confident in this Purdue team at all. And the teams that win national championships are good defensively. Yep. And that is, that's that's a big deal, and you guys are, are absolutely... Um, well, the teams that win the national the championship are not good defensively. They're great defensively. Yep. Purdue is good defensively. They're not great. Yeah, and that's really going to cost them. Um, finally, just from the last few minutes we have, we'll get to the upset ease if we have time. What about the upset that was most indicative of the future from the upsetters? From the teams that won? Yes. The uh, teams that won. I mean, I think it might be Arkansas. They are trending upwards. And no, no, no slack to Kentucky. They haven't been quite as good on the road. They've obviously been a much better home team. But Arkansas, they've been playing fantastic basketball over the last month and a half to two months. They, they've been absolutely insane. They're now ranked 20th in Ken Palm, but they've only lost once since they fell in their third straight game to Texas A&M on January 8th. So they're playing their best basketball right now. Tennessee has been the best home team in the country this year, haven't lost at home. That, of course, will have continued when Auburn came into the town. They have, they have Arkansas 
at home on senior day, and that's going to be obviously emotional because Tennessee fans love John Fulkerson. But I think Arkansas, most indicative. I'm going to go with Baylor here. This may, I know this is kind of like the layup of, of the options available, but a Baylor team that really took it to Kansas, especially in the second half. They closed out this game really, really well. And without JTT, this Baylor team still has what it takes to win big games. And I think that's going to fare really well for the Baylor Bears as one of those teams that can, that can win a national championship. Plenty of those teams this year. But Baylor showed they could beat the elite teams. And ultimately, that's what you have to do. And I think that's where we're going to um, go with there. We'll go to you, Don, then we'll move on for next segment. I'm actually going to choose the Spartans. Um, me growing up in Columbus, Ohio, knows that a Tom Izzo team is not a Tom Izzo team until March. And I think this team could become really dangerous. Um, they are in the top 50 for both offense and defensive adjusted efficiency. They can shoot the lights out of the ball. And I like this team a lot. And I think they can make some noise. Uh, whether that be in the Big Ten tournament next week or in March Madness. Yeah, this um, was their March Eve game. Yeah, I think I think it really was. And well, it was. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with their game on Tuesday against Michigan and then Ohio State this week, I think it's a big prep week for what's to come for Tom Izzo and the Spartans. Well, let's move on to our next segment here. We're going to talk Well, their first off, before we get into the, the bulk of this segment, the Providence Friars... Big East regular season champions for the first time ever. How about those Friars, Dominic? Yeah, shout out to the Friars. They're, they're, I still think they're fraud evidence, but um, they they picked up some very impressive wins. Somehow hanging on over Xavier and then demolishing Creighton, albeit without Andrew Nemhard or not Andrew Nemhard, but Nemhard. Uh, so I Ryan Nemhard. So uh, impressive. I mean, for them to only have three losses at this point. I mean, they they know how to win the close games. It, there's there's luck involved with it. There's no doubt about that. And all signs point towards at some point this team is going to lose some of these games. But It'll until then. Tuesday, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until then. They, uh, they're reeling. Yeah. And, and I think it's no mistake, too, to what Ed Cooley has done 100%. with that team. Um, that is so impressive. For a team that, let's be real, doesn't have a guy that's going to do big things to the next level. You, you know, it's it's a, it's a team of guys that just know how to play together, and when it matters the most, they know how to get it done, and that is unmistakable when it happens over and over and over again. You could say they're lucky. You can say all you want about the metrics show that they're lucky, but there's no mistake to what Providence is doing and winning close games because they know how to do it. And there's something to it where I mean, if you don't know how to win close games, it's going to show, right? I mean, it's going to show in the same stuff popping up at the end of games. You're going to keep wondering, why can't we win these close ones? Providence knows how to do that. And that's a skill that could it could either bode them very, very well, or they're going to slip up in March. Like, that, that's kind of like the two options with this Providence team, right? Uh, but I, I, I don't think it's a mistake that they're doing that. And it has many across the country saying that Ed Cooley should be the national coach of the year. And we, we discussed this earlier before we came on the air here live on the Bill Austin Radio Studio in downtown Phoenix at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Arizona State University. There's a lot of coaches that can win the National Coach of the Year this year. Um, you look at, it's not just Cooley as well. It's the, the co- guys like Tommy Lloyd and Mark Adams who have done impressive jobs. And, and even as, as you guys were saying, John Kyle Perry may be right up there as well. 
Yeah, and uh, Greg Gard is actually my pick. I mean, um, what he's been able to do at Wisconsin after losing players like Ethan Happ and a ton of great veteran guys. I know they still have Brad Davidson, who I've said it multiple times, is the oldest player in college basketball history, <laughs> it seems like. Um, but this Wisconsin team to be able to have sole possession of the Big Ten at this point of the season is very impressive. Um, yes, they have one of the National Player of the Year contenders in Johnny Davis, but and as loaded as a conference as the Big Ten is, for Wisconsin to be at the top, that's an accomplishment to Greg Gard and the Badgers. I, it's tough. And, I mean, like, the conversation changed this week. Mark Adams, Mark Adams, Texas Tech loses. Tommy Lloyd, Arizona loses. Like, those two guys were right up there, and they lost. Wisconsin goes on the road and wins at the rack. The rack. It's the rack. Not Jersey Mike's. It's the no, it's an, I, you, you don't have to say that. <laughs> it's they, the rack. I mean, the, the building has to have like Jersey Mike's magic, but it is the rack. You are right. No, it's the rack. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that that performance was super indicative of Greg Gard. And then Ed Cooley at Providence. I mean, if they go on the road, be Villanova, I mean, that's a great, it's la- a program, great man. final reminder. Mm-hmm. And they won their conference. Wisconsin hasn't won the Big Ten yet. They're obviously in first place right now, but Providence has already won it, and they've got a Chance they control to, their own destiny, too. If Wisconsin wins out, they win. Yeah, so. but Providence has a chance to really cap it off. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, there's just so much stuff that goes into what a national coach of the year really means to some people. When you guys look at coaches that you would consider to be the national coach of the year or those who would be up in that running, what sticks out to you guys? What are you looking at to make that determination of who you would pick for a national coach of the year? I look at where our team was supposed to be at the beginning of the year and – to where they are now. So, like, Wisconsin had no business winning the Big Ten this year, and now that they're at the top, that shows to me that Greg Gard has done a great job, and he has. So that's my criteria. Right. I mean, it's just like evaluating the level of coaching. Arizona, you know, a projected tournament team, they're probably going to be a one seed. Providence, not really a projected tournament team, projected three or four seed. Yep. It's exceeding expectations because of what you think the coach did. That is coach of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I would certainly agree with you guys. Like, that's what the definition of, of that award really means. Um, but it also has kind of, I believe, evolved slightly in an era to where coaches have to figure out how to blend together transfers and their own recruits. And they have to do it on an annual basis now with, mm-hmm. the, with how big the portal has become. They have to do it on an annual basis. And... And, and I know Chris Beard ain't going to be a part of this conversation for National Coach of the Year, but if Texas had performed better um, throughout the course of this year, I mean, maybe he's up in that conversation because of the job he had to do blending these people in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also why some people will have Kara Pari in the, in the discussion as well for a Kentucky team that typically M- Missed the tournament last year. Yeah, and, typic- and also typically does not bring in experienced transfers. They typically recruit young guys heavy, recruit the one-and-done guys pretty heavily. And what he's done to try to blend it all together and doing it quite successfully, I might add, is also very impressive. Uh, but, uh, I mean, as far as under-the-radar guys who maybe won't be in the national conversation but within their own conferences could absolutely be a part uh, of the conversation. You know, I look at, at a program like Wyoming over in the Mountain West Conference. I mean, this is a team that for the longest amount of time I had doubted myself but what head coach Jeff Linder has done in Wyoming has been fantastic to watch. I mean, 23-5. and five, They started the year just inside the Kempom Top 200. And 
They were in the top 35 for a time. They've, they've slipped a little bit to 46. But why, what Wyoming has done this year has been extremely impressive. Yeah, I, I think Linder's going to win Mountain West Coach of the Year regardless of what happens tomorrow night when the San Diego State Aztecs come into town. And no matter where Wyoming finishes in the standings, they could win the Mountain West still. They only played Boise, or they split the season series with Boise, so uh, they do have a gain to gain on them. We'll see what happens, but I think Linder absolutely wins Mountain West Coach of the Year. Yeah, I mean, it's been an impressive job to – and I mean, even for me, like I had doubt of that team for a while until they got those big wins and they got them. Uh, and the and the enthusiasm behind that program too is at a high we haven't seen in quite some time. So that is one that is definitely on the radar, at least for the Mountain West. I don't know how much nationally he'll get no, playing for. I mean, you're you're not going to get any attention, especially if you don't win the Mountain West. Right, and th- and that's also a big deal when it comes to the national picture. And I think that the national picture for Coach of the Year has been stronger than it has been before. I think that's also part of it because, like you mentioned, I mean, having Wyoming 23-5 and five is very, very impressive. But there are programs who have also exceeded expectations while playing a significantly tougher schedule that have five, even less than five, or a little bit more than five while playing a much better schedule. And there's also been so many teams that have drastically improved uh, from last season, which, as you guys have mentioned, that's a pretty strong criteria for the National Coach of the Year award. I mean, look at what Bruce Pearl's doing at Auburn. I mean, that turnaround has been really impressive. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> me and Dom kind of talked about this before the show. Um, yeah, Auburn has been impressive, but I think they can still take that next step forward. And I mean, I think they do have the best, they have the best player in the country in Jabari Smith. But um, Dom was kind of saying that they're frauds. Am I right? Fraud evidence. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking about Auburn now. Oh, Fraudburn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we could do this. I mean, those are there's only a couple teams though where it like actually fits, but those are two of them. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Pearl's in that conversation too. Absolutely. Yeah. Like. Because I think that he's done a fantastic job with coaching the team. Absolutely. So, th- there's a lot of great candidates. Yeah, and, and similar to so Wyoming, the enthusiasm about that Auburn program. Oh. oh, my gosh. I forget who it is. Uh, I'll pull up his name. But there's one guy on Auburn that just, like, no matter where they're playing, he's just energizing the crowd. Uh, Dylan Cardwell, he's the backup big man. And, like, they're, they're on the road. Like, Alabama, it doesn't matter. They're on the road. He'll get some dunk or he'll get some rebound or he'll draw a foul. And he'll like he'll just like stare up at the Auburn crowd. And every, they're all going nuts. Auburn's been traveling in waves mm-hmm. to their games because they're a good team. I'm not saying they're not good. I yeah, just yeah. Don't think they're like a top ten team. I don't think <laughs> they're gonna get. They're gonna be a heavy favorite to win the national title, and they're not gonna do that. Yeah. So so and and it's just it just goes to show how many impressive coaching jobs have been done by first year coaches, coaches that have been there but have really turned things around. Really strong field for national coaching. We'll discuss more on that award pretty much after the season is done because we've got a lot more to discuss when it comes to resumes and brackets and the road to selection Sunday. And we'll get to the resumes part of that right now by discussing this thing of the ACC, which it has been looking increasingly likely that this conference that for a long time you know, has been very much doubted by plenty of people it is looking more and more like the ACC is going to end up on the right side of the bubble for every single one of its teams and get five bids into the tournament, which, I mean, call it how you want for a down ACC to get five, I think is pretty impressive. And so 
Well, we'll start off with this, the bracket matrix as of today. Just kind of looking at where things stand. We finally updated on a Sunday. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, and, and, and they even added ten more, eight more brackets since I printed it off earlier today. So that's, so that's really exciting for all the bracket enthusiasts um, that are out there. But within the latest calculation, Wake Forest is a 10. This is among the bubblers. Duke, we know, will get a top seed. Notre Dame and Miami are both 11s. And North Carolina is a 12. So every single one of the teams below Duke that are in consideration, of course, not including a, a Virginia Tech team who is pretty much out of it at this particular point. But all of them looking like they're going to get in, guys. Which would be wild because, I mean, you look at some of these resumes. I mean, <laughs> and the North Carolina one stands out. I, how is this team, like, considered to be a tournament team? One win in quad one. They have a quad four loss to Pitt. That wasn't even close, by the way. But, I mean, they, they, they've fought. They, they, they've, outside of that, it's a very clean resume. But... Wake Forest, Notre Dame, Miami, they all have quality wins. Uh, Miami has four quad one wins. They should absolutely be a tournament team, even though they have three quad three losses. But, yeah, we were talking about it. You know, does the ACC only get three bids? Does it only get four? They, they very well could get five. And if some of these teams play well in the ACC tournament, like if North Carolina makes a run and then Virginia Tech also but makes a run. But how much does a run in the ACC tournament saying though? Well, I mean, just like, if you don't get the double buy, making it to the semifinals or making it to the final. But I'm just saying, like, part of why North Carolina's strength of schedule is so bad and strength of record so bad is because the ACC has been down. Yeah. So, like, it's not their fault that the teams that they're playing that they usually have been playing that boost their resumes aren't boosting their re- resume this year. Because, um, like, a 21-8 and eight record in ACC blindly is a tournament team. Yeah. yeah. But now, this year, with it, ACC being down, that is not the and, case. And, and a resume that I will remind you has 11 quad three games. Has one more, too. Mm. Syracuse on Monday. Yeah. So that, that's also, so they'll have 12 quad three games this is all said and done. So it's a lot of quad three games, but they've navigated through every single one of them without a loss. Yeah. Well, but they lost to Pitt. And quad four. Right. Exactly. So that, that, it's another wrinkle on it. But, you know, all the metrics are pointing toward North Carolina being in the tournament and being in very, very good standing. Yeah, and you want to do some work because if, say, you're an at-large team, that means you did not win your conference tournament, which means that you you added another loss onto this resume. And unless that loss is to Duke, you're probably looking at the net rankings in the ACC top 50 neutral sites. So, I mean, if you lose to either Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, or Notre Dame in the tournament right now, it's a quad one loss. So if you lose to any other team outside of that, you're you're really hurting your resume and adding another loss. And then you also have the potential for bid stealers. So North Carolina still has some work. Uh, and then when you look at it on the 11th line, Notre Dame and Miami need to not sh- absolutely shoot themselves in the foot. Well, let's talk about that for every single one of those four teams that are currently in the projected bracket matrix field. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about that. First off, for Wake Forest, as they're the highest up uh, amongst the teams, Wake Forest, 22-8, and 12-7. and seven. They have one more regular season game to go at home against NC State and then obviously the ACC tournament. How, do you, how much work do you think Wake Forest needs to do before they are officially safe? Or, or do you think they are already officially well, safe? Wake Forest, currently the five seed, means they do not get the double bye. Which That's means huge. they have to play 
the 12 or the 13 seed. The 5 seed has to play the 12 or the 13 seed. Yep. Let's not overcomplicate it here. Uh, and Virginia could also jump up into that spot. They're only one game behind Wake Forest currently. Wake Forest half a game behind Miami and then a game and a half behind North Carolina for the three. So if Wake Forest loses that first-round game to either Georgia Tech, NC State, or Pittsburgh, or even Boston College, or Louisville, or Clemson, it's bunched up at the bottom, so I'll just preface that. You're, you're in serious trouble at that point. If you win that game, you're playing the four seed, which is either Miami, North Carolina, Duke, or UVA. That's either a quad one or a quad two game, and I think you're probably good. Yeah, and the home game against NC State it probably needs to be won. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would absolutely agree with, with all of that. But the, you look at some of the losses they've taken as of late within the last five games, home against Miami, at Clemson, definitely a team that isn't quite stacking up the wins as, as what they were, but still in pretty solid state there. How about Miami? My, the Miami Hurricanes, first off, Amazing pot to Virginia Tech for winning that game right at the end uh, with that with that game-winning shot to win 71-70 to 70 at Miami. The Hurricanes have Boston College and Syracuse on the road before entering the ACC tournament. How much work do the Hurricanes need to do to be safe? They need to win the next two. They can't lose either of them, in my opinion. Um, they've been struggling kind of as of late, I would say. So they need to, I would say, put on, kind of put on a show for the committee. Um, they need to make some noise in the ACC tournament as well. Uh, I'm not saying they need to win it, but... Um, do they need to do it for the net? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Do it for the net. Yeah, and one thing that I'm also looking at is we didn't preface how many brackets these teams are in. There's currently 106 brackets in the Matrix. Miami is in 98. Notre Dame's in 100. Wake Forest is in 98. And North Carolina's in 93. So they're not in all of these brackets. They're and, not a tournament lock by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and CBS, uh, Jerry Palm left North Carolina out. Yeah. So that's, so that's a, a pretty prominent name, leaving the Tar Heels out of it. Let's go to North Carolina next. Uh, a team that, again, is on that 12 line. Of, as of now, of course, they have the heavily hyped game coming up uh, on Saturday. We're not Duke and you're in. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they're not going to do that, but... Yeah, if they went out Duke, there's no questions asked. They're in the tournament, but um, there is still a way, in my opinion, as they can make it, and I think Dom agrees with me, but... Um, yeah, they just have to do what Dom said. They have to be in that semifinal game in the ACC tournament or make some sort of a run to impress um, the tournament makers, so... Would you consider the home game against Syracuse on Monday a must-win? Yes. I yeah, say, so. absolutely, because that's a quad three game, right? Yeah. Yep. And, I mean, North Carolina currently the three seed in the ACC, so you get the double bye right now as things stands. You're probably adding a loss onto that resume before you get there. That would currently match them up against a Virginia if they win their first-round game. I don't know. I don't need to do the, like, mental math here on the standings to figure out who they'd play, but uh, a loss to Virginia would not be the worst thing in the world, but – you definitely want to beat Virginia because then you're going to pick up another quad one game on your resume, whether you win or lose. And and finally, within this group, Notre Dame, a team 21 and eight. They're and all, all of these teams are fighting amongst themselves for pretty significant seeding when it comes to the ACC tournament. Uh, but Notre Dame at 14 and four in conference play. Um, 
looking like they may end up being second unless Duke slips up, which we're not expecting that. Uh, but Duke 14 and 4 in conference, 21 and 8 overall. Metrics look pretty good for the Fighting Irish at Florida State and home against Pittsburgh to close out the regular season before the ACC tournament. What's the workload of Notre Dame look like? Like Dom said, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot during the tournament. Yeah. Win those two games against two of the worst teams in the conference, like Nick mentioned currently, the two seed, a game in front of UNC for the three seed. Mental math, you'd play Virginia Tech or Clemson, the winner of that game, as long as Clemson wins their first-round game. Virginia Tech would currently be a quad one game in the ACC tournament. 41st in net. So if you beat Virginia Tech, you're certainly in. Beating Clemson, you're really helping yourself out because that's a quad two game, and then you'd be in the semifinal. So, I mean, if they win their next three games, they're a lock, and they're probably a 10 seed, if we're being honest. Yeah. And one quick question before we move forward in our program. Is there any room for Virginia Tech to make a massive enough of a rise to get in the conversation? Uh, I mean, I, I think probably not. You're playing. You got a home game against Louisville. That's a quad four game, if I recall correctly. You're playing at Clemson. That's quad two. And you're not going to get the double bye unless there's some absolute miracle that goes on in front of you, which wouldn't really help yourself out. So if you make a run and you lose to Duke in the championship, or if you face Duke and you beat them in the ACC tournament, if you somehow bump up and get the five seed, or you're maybe, maybe, because then you're looking at 21 wins. Yeah, and that's typically a good number. 21 and 13 with your last loss coming to Duke, especially if you look good in that game, leave a good final impression before the committee goes to sleep, maybe. It'll be very interesting to see. As we move on of our program here, and perhaps I think the most exciting thing about this particular weekend, we got brackets! We got brackets! Uh, I believe 10 of them to be exact within the early conference tournaments of conferences who have already closed out their regular seasons. And it quite frankly will be a complete waste of my time to go through every single bracket live on air. They're available widely uh, at this particular point in time. But all kinds of different formats, reseeding, straight up brackets, step ladders. We love the step ladder brackets. Uh, send the LVC in the West Coast Conference. Let's just start off with this. What stands out to you as, what, as the conference that are the, the brackets that we have now that might be the most interesting to follow? Well, I mean, I think the A-Sun has a lot of competition to go on, especially at the top. Obviously, Liberty has been the representative of this conference for a while now, but there's a couple of really good teams in this conference. Jacksonville State has been very impressive this year, and Jacksonville has really rose the ranks of this conference. Uh, oh, was ranked outside the top 300 of Ken Palm to start the year. They're now inside the top 200. They've been super impressive. Uh, Bellarmine has also been super impressive, finished at 11-5 and this year. And the Florida Gulf Coast, of course, Dunk City. We all know how that rolls. They won two tournament <laughs> games back in 2012. So uh, I, I, I think the A-Sun's going to be a really fun tournament. How about you, Contini? Uh, I would say the Ohio um, Valley Conference. Um, I talked about it a little bit. So Murray, Murray State is a story this year that is really impressive. They went undefeated through conference play, and I would say the expectations for them to run, is to run through this conference tournament, but I'm really interested to see if some team in this conference can knock them off and um, steal a bid from another conference. And, yeah. of course, the West Coast Conference, 
That also came out. The step ladder. Yep. It's always a fun tournament. BYU, if they win their first matchup against either LMU or Pacific, I I, I predict LMU is going to win that game. They have a game against San Francisco. If you lose that game, you're probably not in the tournament. If you beat San Francisco, it's a quad one win. Really going to help your resume, and you could leave a lasting impression on the NCAA tournament. You will have a shot at Gonzaga. Right. Then you get a shot at Gonzaga, and if you win that game, you're in the tournament 100%. Yeah. With a chance to lock it in the next day. Right. That's a big deal. And we've talked so much about why those the regular season in that conference, particularly with the strength of that conference, was important to make sure you don't fall yourself in that situation where you have a guaranteed trap. Well, that's the situation they're in. Yep. Guaranteed my, trap. My favorite part about this tournament is that the schedule aligns so that there's no games on Sunday because BYU doesn't play on Sundays. Oh, that's so genius. <laughs> well, it's not genius. It's what they have to do. It's And so if BYU does find a way to get in as an at-large, they're going to be in the play-in game, and they're going to be on Tuesday because that way they have to turn around and play on Thursday. So that way in case they win that game, they play on Saturday and not Sunday. There you go. Bracketology with Dom Stern. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a fascinating tournament. The Missouri Valley Conference is also going to be um, – um, oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how much of a t- fantastic tournament this is going to be with the chaos of the top four teams and how strong they've been against these, in, this, in this conference. Clear cut. Um, Northern Iowa beating Loyola Chicago on Saturday. Push Loyola Chicago to the four seed in this conference tournament. We're going to talk a lot more about Leo Chicago situation in our after party episode, which you'll find Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. on Arizona time on your preferred podcast platform. But Leo Chicago, they have Bradley on Friday afternoon in the 4 5 game. They win that. It's likely another shot at Northern Iowa. So it's a big situation for Leo Chicago, a team that is fighting for its NCAA tournament life on an at large as well. We'll talk a lot more about them on our after party episode. Uh, but. You know, just looking at some of these others um, that could perhaps get some interest. I'm really, I'll be very interested in seeing what Longwood will do in the Big South tournament. Shout out Longwood. Yeah, this is this is a program that has not been in Division One very long, and for as and for the time they have been in Division One, really has not been quite as good. Uh, but this is really the first big year for Longwood, breaking through in the Big South, the number one seed mm-hmm. um, by virtue of beating everyone else in the conference, and winning their division. Well, by winning their division because they're in the other division that doesn't have Winthrop and Gardner-Webb. Right. So they only played them once each. Yeah, that, that's also a, a big deal. Uh, and I, I really and obviously this, this is also a tournament that is moving to a neutral site this year, which... Bojangles Coliseum. Yes, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And for the, for, the, for the tournaments that do have campus sites, I'll be very curious to see how much of an effect... That has this year because of what we went through last year with there hardly being any fans, none depending on what conference and where you were in the country. I'll be curious to see if there's an effect on the on the home court advantage within these campus sites this year. And if it's a little bit more than, than usual. I'll be very curious to see what that ends up looking like uh, really throughout the entire country. Uh, I think that'll be something I'll be very interested uh, in looking at. The Horizon League Tournament. It is a constant. So fun last year. It is a constant reseeding tournament, uh, and yes, I mean three overtime games in the quarterfinal round last year, a triple overtime game within that bunch as well. I mean, it, it must. I mean, it was probably your dream. It's uh, evolve our dreams. Yep, it's yeah, the and, definition of March. Oh. And uh, degenerates, 
this is the last chance you get to fade IUPUI. <laughs> Against Oakland on Tuesday on ESPN+. Probably going to be around 23-point underdogs. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, they get the five-seed Oakland um, at Oakland in, in that particular game. But it's... Oakland's the best team in the conference, according to the analytics. Yeah, number five. But IUPUI is in our hearts, so that's all that matters. Oh, man. I still remember you guys showing me that Kempom profile. <laughs> They're still in last by... A very, very wide margin. They are negative 32, and Delaware State at 357th is negative 25. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. The Summit League tournament, what South Dakota State has done uh, in the Summit League, they are they went perfect, 18-0. They're not quite the best defensive team, but they are one of the best offenses in the entire country. And we're going to talk about this a little bit in our, in our Bonanza rank segment coming up in a few minutes, but... This team, I think, has a lot of pressure on them. That's the one. I mean, they're not going to get it as an at-large. Which is lame. Yeah, but but it is. But, I mean, for a 27-4 and four team as well. Uh, but, I mean, it really just adds to the amount of pressure of South Dakota State. There's a few others that are like that throughout the course of the country that will be in a very similar spot, having a ton of pressure on them. Uh, but the Summer League Tournament's another one of those tournaments that, I mean, Oral Roberts is sitting there as a, as a three. And that Oral Roberts team has also been... Not quite to the extent of South Dakota State, but another decent offense that's aided by a not-so-good defense. Yeah, and the matchup that they had the other day, the total was set at 169, and it went way over it, of course, courtesy of overtime. If they match up, that's going to be one of the most exciting games we see all yeah. year. 106-102, Oral Roberts, they kind of threw it away down the stretch, but these two offenses are very high-powered. And they also lost on Saturday to set themselves up in a three-seed against six-seed Western Illinois on Sunday night. We're going to go ahead and move on to our Bonanza rank for this particular week. As you know, we will rank literally anything and anything in our Bonanza rank segment this week's Bonanza rank. And it's kind of what I alluded to earlier. The three early conference tournament number one seeds with the most pressure on them. This is what I'll be very curious to see for you guys all have to say here. I'm going to start right out with you, Bishop Contini, for your number three on this week's rank. Uh, I still need to... Here, I got it. Longwood. I think it's Longwood, just because they're the number one seed. They they handled this conference pretty easily. However, like I mentioned, didn't have to play Winthrop or Gardner-Webb multiple times, so I'm not sure they're exactly worthy of being this number one team in the conference. The analytics suggest that they're not the number one seed in this conference. There's going to be a lot of pressure on them. We'll see how they're able to handle it. But based on what they've done in the past, I don't think they had the most pressure. I'm going to put Bryant as my number three. Bryant has had quite the story over the last several months. They started this season at four and seven. They've ended up 19 and nine since that point. That is the entire conference schedule for them. 15 and two. They defeated Wagner at home on Saturday to win the Northeast Conference regular season championship. And you could just tell that that building was amped with energy and excitement. And for Brian, this is a very historic moment for them. They had never won a regular season championship in their division one time. They have not been to an NCAA tournament in their division one time. And even though they were pretty solid uh, in 2020-21, this year is looking like is their time, and they really need to hold on to it because Wagner was as good as you could imagine this conference. They are still the best team analytically, this, this Wagner team. Brian has had a much better close to the regular season. They're the one. I think they got a lot of pressure on them. 
Yeah, this Northeast Conference um, tournament is going to be really interesting, so I'm going to back off of what um, Nick just said. I'm going to go with Bryant as well. Um, this, the, the story of this Bryant team of how they started and now who are they at now, um, yeah, they're definitely going to need to win this tournament to make it to make uh, March Madness. So, um, yeah, the, the, all the pressure is on Bryant, and so I'm looking forward to see what they do with this pressure and how they uh, play this week. Number two, Dominic. My number two is the Liberty Flames from the A-Sun. Although they're technically not the number one seed because of stupid divisions, they're in all intents and purposes the number one seed. They have represented this conference several times before. They have won games in the NCAA tournament in 2019, defeating the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Like I mentioned, Jacksonville State, very, very promising team. Jacksonville has been playing fantastic basketball all year. They've gotten better as the season has gone along. And even Bellarine. Bellarine's been a very impressive team. Likes to slow it down. I think Liberty's got a lot of pressure on them. Teams have been gunning for them all year, and they've taken a couple shots at them. They've damaged the, uh, the armor and the flames shield, but Liberty Flames, they got a lot of pressure on them. My number two is Longwood, and I believe, and I'm going with this over Bryant because Longwood is even more Division One history, and that history has, well, we'll keep it honest here, not good at all. This is a program, like, like I've mentioned. They have never broken through in any sort of positive way. Um, they're just now their third co- head coach in their Division I tenure uh, with, Griff, with Griff Aldrich. Uh, they never got a goal under Mike Gillian uh, as, as an independent until 2012-13. They joined the Big South Conference. Never got a going under Jason Gee. And now Aldrich has Longwood atop the Big South Conference in his fourth year. Longwood has never experienced this kind of success in the Division One history. It has never happened for them. They have never had a winning record in any season in the Division One history. Nonetheless, win a regular season championship at 15-1 in the Big South Conference. You want to talk about pressure, this team has the weight of an entire university that has been waiting for nearly three decades, for two decades, I should say, for this kind of success to finally come and it has. How do you deal with it, especially on a neutral floor? That's going to be an interesting question. And there are several teams within there. I mean, we, we and you and you kind of alluded to this, Dominic, that they are solid teams. I mean, you I mean Winthrop, they've kind of been the golden standard bearer of this conference for the last several years. Solid team analytically. Gardner Webb's got a very solid defense to contend with. So those teams that will be giving Longwood a very very good shot. And I'll be very curious to see what ends up coming of that. All right. Uh, my number two team uh, in this Bonanza rank is going to be the Texas State Bobcats. Uh, they are the one in the um, Conference, USA. Conference USA tournament. Sunbelt. Sunbelt. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Conference USA. Sunbelt oh, tournament. It's be North Texas. Uh, they were upset in last year's Sunbelt tournament by Appalachian State, and they were the one seed in that as well. So I just want, uh, I think they have some pressure on them for being the second year straight one seed in this tournament um, and make some noise in their tournament instead of getting upset in the first round. And our number one for this Bonanza rank this week, Dominic. Yeah, it's absolutely South Dakota State here. They have the best analytical profile of any team that's outside of the like true mid-majors, obviously North Texas. In Conference USA, you can say whatever you want. That's Those teams normally do well in the NCAA tournament, but South Dakota State, 13th best offense in the nation, according to Ken Palm. Number one in effective field goal percentage, but the team comes ready for them, and they defend their shots really well. 
the Jackrabbits' defense is not good. 217th in adjusted defense, and that's with their 46th in tempo. So they allow a lot, a lot of points. 75, 102, 60, 66, 61, 61, 79, 64, 76. And these are against teams that, you know, granted, aren't that good. So they're, they've done such a fantastic job. They've won 18 straight games, all of which were in conference. There's a lot of pressure on them. And if they, like Nick, you mentioned, if they don't win those 18 straight games, it doesn't matter. So all the pressure's on them. You're absolutely right. This is also my number one. And this is also the first time that South Dakota State has gone perfect in Summit League play. It's the first ever Summit League perfect season ever. Yeah. And, and that alone gives you so much pressure, especially when you're a team that you know you have to win the conference tournament to get in. I mean, sure, the analytics, they're not bad, but they're not good. You know, they're not good enough to get over that hump. And you look at the resume that this team has built, well, there is nothing to be seen there. I mean, unless you no. want to come in. I mean, the, the one chance to get that big non-conference win was a 104-88 defeat against Alabama on the road way back on November 12th. So, and, it's, and this is a team that they have really done a solid job of really handling business when they've had to. I mean, the Oral Roberts game is a great example of a team that wanted to take a fantastic shot at South Dakota State. And over time came, and South Dakota State still came out on top. So now it's, what do you do when that situation happens perhaps again? I'll be very curious to see what these Jackrabbits have in store. And make no mistake, this is a team that, should they get into the tournament and, and get that and get that automatic bid, Oh, man, their defense ain't good, but their offense can compete with anyone in the country, according to the analytics. And that'll be something very interesting going forward. Mr. Contini, number one for you. My number one is going to be South Dakota State as well. I mean, it's the obvious pick here. Um, they are an historic program, in my opinion. I mean, if you look a couple years back, they had Mike Dom, who was the story of the NCAA tournament, um, a seven-foot score. He killed my Buckeyes in the first round, and thankfully we were able to get out of the first round. Mm-hmm. But Dom. Shout out, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they have a lot on their plate this week. I mean, like Nick said, if they don't win this tournament, they're not in. So that's what's special about these early uh, early league tournaments, spur conference tournaments, is because most of these teams, their only way of getting in is winning the tournament. So that's what makes this month so special. Yeah. I also want to mention a, con- a, a team that was in a conference whose bracket released just hours ago, Chattanooga very much in competition with Furman, but when they won the conference by a couple games over Furman, those have been the two best teams analytically in this conference. Um, they are plus 10 over that in, in Kempom, both of them. Uh, so Chattanooga, will, I think, will definitely have some major pressure on them. They have not made the tournament yet in Coach Vermont Pamers' time there. Their last NCAA tournament appearance was in 2016 under Coach Matt McCall. Uh, they lost to Indiana that year in the NCAA tournament by quite a bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's another team that's in a very similar line. Murray State, not mentioned. I absolutely agree with this. Um, just, to, just to be clear, Murray State, we're going to be in an NCAA tournament. I don't think any argument yeah. that at this point. Nope. Pressure's uh, off, which means that they could get a bid stolen. Yeah. yeah. They, they have almost nothing to play for. They have seeding. Seeding. And, and I think that's also a big, big deal for them. I mean, they're, I mean they're not going to get the quality of games of other teams in their conference tournament, sure. Uh, but for a team that's in all 106 brackets in the matrix at the third number eight seed, you would think that they want to be motivated to climb up even further. Right, but if you play your way up 
onto the seven line and all of a sudden you're facing a two in your second game instead of a one, I think that makes a huge difference. It does, and also a ten in your first game as well. I, I don't think that I don't think that's their concern. Okay. I mean I mean no, I mean you're you're absolutely right. Uh so I that that does make a difference, but their goal isn't to just win a tournament game. Right. Their goal is to go far in the NCAA tournament. Obviously you need to win that first game to play in your second game. That's why it's so awesome. But it's a lot easier to beat a two than it is to beat a one. Yeah, I and mean, then this, this be Murray State and Belmont's farewell tour in the Ohio Valley Conference. We will talk a lot more about that situation also on our after party episode this week. Let's get into picks. The final set of regular season picks. We will not be done after the regular season, though. So much content coming on our Twitter this, at College Bonanza. This regular season picks need to end. Oh, man. And, he, and he's got a good reason for saying that as well because he is currently 10 games back of myself. Um, it was a little rough for all of us um, on this on the final double pick weekend of the regular season. We all went 8-7. and seven. And Of course, I got absolutely smattered uh, by the top teams not taking care of their business yet. On the graphic, on the on the pick graphic we gave you exclusively on our Twitter at College Bonanza, and I'm getting every single one of us right. So it was a five and five weekend for me. Dominic Stewart, Dominic went four and six in the weekend. That's how we all got to eight and seven on the week. This week's final set of regular season picks was start of our mid repeats, of course. Baylor at Texas. I am the contrarian here, going with Baylor. I was really impressed with what I saw from Baylor against Kansas. Now, of course, Baylor had the home court advantage. I think that might be what some of you guys are thinking of here um, with this, but I, I was really impressed with Baylor. I, I really was. I think Baylor's a team that is up there with, with the National League, and that means they should win this game. Yeah. Dom, you switched your pick here, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm like, I, you know, I was, I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not picking to, like, try and catch you guys in the standings, but, like, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. I have a chance to catch up on both of you here. And then I look, and all of a sudden, there's two Texas. But Texas <laughs> has been a much better team at home. Yep. And Baylor has not been as good on the road. Exactly. And it's a classic that letdown exactly. spot mm -hmm. after getting a massive win, one of the biggest wins in regular season program history. You know, maybe the guys went out and partied, not feeling it. Never know. Yeah, Purdue at Wisconsin, a major, major game in the Big Ten regular season championship race. Mr. Sturdekontarian here going with Wisconsin. Yeah. Purdue, I, it's hard for me to trust them. And going on the road, I think that I'm going to take the safe pick with Wisconsin. It's not Brad Davison's senior night yet, his third one. Uh, it's a joke, <laughs> but it feels like it. Yeah. But I, I do think that they're going to find a way to win this game. Yeah, I think Purdue's going to have a little bit of a wake-up call. Uh, and I think, no, a lot sure. of the, I think a lot of the top teams found that out on Saturday, that if we don't play well in a game, we get caught out. Uh-oh. And I think Purdue found that out on the road. They're just going to say that they'll come out a lot better at Wisconsin. Kansas at TCU. After what TCU did at home against Texas Tech, you never quite know. But we are all going with Kansas on that. Stephen F. Austin and New Mexico State. We're all going with New Mexico State here. Big title race for New Mexico State in the Western Athletic Conference at 12-3. Seattle is at 13-4. That has been quite something for Seattle. They've taken a couple of losses, including one at home well, to New Mexico State. New Mexico State lost at Chicago State oh, on yeah. Saturday. Can you believe that? Chicago State sucks. Oh, I don't know how man. that happened. Yeah, I cannot believe that uh, at all. But that will be a very exciting title race. Stephen F. Austin 
also a half game behind New Mexico State. So that'll be a huge game uh, for seeding in the Western Athletic Conference Tournament and regular season conference championship. Iowa at Michigan. I am going with Iowa as a contrarian here. Uh, it really just comes down to what these teams have done um, lately within the overall grand schemes um, of their schedule. Yes, I know Iowa's last loss was at home to Michigan, um, but I think that Iowa is starting to find itself a little bit, you could say. I think this team is really, really motivated. And when you look at what Michigan has done lately, you know, outside of the win against Iowa, and they also beat Purdue at home too, and they smashed it back on February 10, haven't quite been as successful as consistently as I would like to be able to trust them in this kind of game. Uh, I would kind of disagree with you. I mean, I I um, am very high on this Michigan team as of right now. I think they have a lot of fight in them, and I think if they can make some noise and get make their way into the tournament, this could be a surprise second weekend team. To the weekend picks we go with on that note, Alabama at LSU. Big SEC regular season title race this week, and it will all culminate in fantastic matchups throughout the weekend. Mr. Contee, the contrarian here, going with Alabama. Uh, I, I just like Alabama. I've never really been too high on LSU this year. Uh, Alabama's a solid team, and I think they can get a steal, a steal win on the road in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's a team that when I was looking through their schedule, you know, against some of the better teams in the SEC, haven't quite been as good on the road, but what we will have to see is Alabama did take a three-point win at home against LSU way back on January 19. Davidson at Dayton. I am taking Davidson as a contrarian here. Davidson has a lot to play for within the grand scheme of their tournament hopes in the 18 regular season championship. But they'll come out very, very motivated on the road uh, against Dayton there. In the interest of time will go a little bit quickly here as we'll have no problem with that idea here. Texas at Kansas, we're all going with Kansas there. Boise State at Colorado State, we're all going with Colorado State. That'll be a fun fight to the finish in the Mountain West Conference regular season. In Arkansas, Tennessee, we're all going with Tennessee. And I, again, I'm very impressed with what Tennessee did at home. Undefeated at home. This is the last one. Yeah, and it's against a team that is right there with them for the regular season title picture. I know. That that, that picture opened up wide with Auburn and Kentucky. Falling. Absolutely. And just to get the context of that, Auburn at 13-3, and three, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas are all at 12-4. and four. And it's a clear top four as well, which very useful for the purpose of buys in the SEC tournament. Very useful for that purpose, but seeding is still way up for grabs. And that'll be a very, very fascinating yep. point Keep there. Keep in mind, Auburn has tiebreaker over Kentucky. That will be a big, big deal within that picture. Didn't include Duke and North Carolina on Saturday within that context, but at that place, just to close out the show, it's going to be rocking. Tickets are through the roof for Coach Case Farewell at Cameron Indoor Stadium. That is going to be some environment, and it, it really is. Yeah, it's also just the last Tobacco Road rivalry game involving Coach K, and of course, North Carolina was an elite program before he got there. Duke really wasn't. He kind of made that the best rivalry game in the sport, so that's part of the reason, too. Yeah, there will be a very emotional night within Cameron Indoor Stadium, for sure, uh, as, as Duke tries to clinch an ACC outright regular season championship. It's been a long time since Duke has had that. So that'll be the end of our show tonight. As a reminder, if you want to follow us on Twitter at College Bonanza, you're going to get all of our content. And when I say all of our content, holy cow, bracket season is going to have so much content. We need you to follow us on Twitter to get all of it. 
And so please do that at College Finance. You'll find all of our content there. You'll get a lot more than what you get by listening to this episode and an after party episode we post every Tuesday morning. And so you got some, Dominic? Yeah, if you want full breakdowns of every single conference tournament, not just the Big Ten, the ACC, those ones we're talking about, the ASUN, the SWAC, the MEAC, all of them, every single one of them. We'll have a breakdown for you. Yeah, and we'll have bracket season picks for you every day starting March 5th when the OVC championship is scheduled to be played. All kinds of fun, all kinds of special stuff. We cannot wait for the month of March and what it has to go. When we leave this studio, 28 hours until March here in Arizona. We'll leave you, though, with a staple at the end of every bracket season. It's one shouting moment. Have a very good week, everyone. We'll see you right back here Sunday night on Blaze Radio.